in WSL Nation. How's it going? Welcome to another episode. We are now officially out of the early rounds of the Challenge Cup. It is knockout time. We have seedings, rankings, all the good stuff. We didn't even have to cast lots. This is exciting stuff. I'm Steve Schwartzman. As you know by now, I'm here with our resident soccer savant, Mike McVee. Mike, happy knockout round to you. Hey, Steve. Happy knockout round to you as well. I'm so happy that you called out all the obscure tie-breaking rules because that's been the most entertaining reading of, I mean, the tournament. I was really hoping that like someone's red card would be a differential factor. We did. I don't think we had to go to disciplinary points. We might have, and I didn't notice, but that I was sort of hoping uh, like one team's extra yellow card made it so they well, had to drop when, the seat. But you know, when you were looking at a what twelve way tie for third place, it, the, it, it almost came. When the final game ended, not only did we have a four way tie for four points, they all were tied in goal differential. So I think it went to goal total. So there might have been a disciplinary tie break. I. I would look at it if I, you know, we'll if have I to thought to. This. Someone will absolutely correct us, so feel free to in comments because we, we 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 like being on course, so keep us there. But but yeah, as I said, Mike, we're officially through the initial stage. Every team has played four matches. We now move on to the quarterfinal official knockout round. We have our one through eight streets all mapped out. We'll be diving into that pretty heavily, Mike, in just a moment. We did want to hit one story before really anything else because I think this was something that was a pretty poignant part of the final day of the initial stages, I think was a very important, vital, and in many cases, healthy message for a specific player that I think would be nice for us to highlight. During the Thorns Rain matchup, which was the early day of the morning in which we're recording this, um, Bethany Balser, just off of a winning header against Royals FC, uh, 40 minutes in, I believe it was just after hydration break, had left the game was was subbed out for taylor smith there wasn't uh, any direct knowledge at the time as to why the sub had happened it seemed pretty early uh, there was note of, there was note on the sidelines uh marissa pilla i believe noted that she was having issues breathing there were some concerns no one really quite knew there was some level of worried it did sound over time like things were stable like as the news grapevine had come out it wasn't necessarily that it was this heavily dire emergent situation but still wondering concerns to what happened pretty well immediately after the game had ended bethany balser got on twitter uh, and made a formal announcement i kind of wanted to to just go ahead and read through what she had wrote down you could tell it was something that she wanted to get through you know it it happened pretty well after the fact and so a lot of it was stream of consciousness in a way Uh, she says hey everyone thanks for all your texts and prayers i was having difficulty breathing today in our game and knew something was wrong early on following being subbed out i fell to the ground and had a panic attack and was unable to catch my breath a similar instance happened last year in the semifinals it seems to be anxiety related after about an hour i was able to lower my heart rate soccer is much more than just a physical sport mental illness plays directly into it keep all the players in your thoughts because it's really really tough to stay mentally sharp and healthy in an environment like this one i know for me i've hit an emotional wall and it sucks because it affects how you play no matter how hard you try to push through. I'm breathing okay now, but conversations are exhausting to have. Looking forward to lots of rest in the next few days. Super proud of the team on to the quarters. Close quote. Obviously, I think it goes without saying, but it should be say anyway that, you know, I think formally we give our support, our thoughts, prayers, positive vibes to, to, to Balser and to anyone in this tournament or beyond that is struggling and, and dealing with anxiety and depression and panic disorder and anything of that nature and obviously i i think there's heavily heavy commendation 
to to go toward toward Bethia in for being willing to speak out on this, being willing to open up about this, you know, beyond the very important needs of the willingness to speak on anxiety, as she specifically said, conversations are exhausting. This was something that was probably very difficult for her to put together in the moment, but she wanted to make sure that there was some level of ease and, and clarity that she could give to to her follower base. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. One one thing that I was really moved by this because you know we realize that we we tend to look at athletes from a purely physical perspective, right? You know, they're professional athletes. Think about, you know, the shape that they're in, their speed, their strength, things like that. And that's important for what they do, of course. But one thing that's been brought into broad daylight in this tournament is that they have so much to contribute talking about things like like mental health or or like how they've spoken up about, you know, Black Lives Matter. Like they have really brought these important conversations into the spotlight. And I was really refreshing to see Bethany Balser talk about that, talk about that struggle that she's dealt with because because it's one of those in, invisible illnesses. You know, no one would think twice if a player is subbed off for, for a physical injury. But to be subbed off for a panic attack, I, I hope that's not something that's ever stigmatized. But to see her be open about that and start those conversations. I mean, I feel for her, absolutely. But I thought yeah. that was so important. Absolutely. I, I think this was definitely, to, to your point, something that could have easily been, I don't like to say skirt under the rug because that's not the idea, but something that could have easily just been moved on from in that it was an exceptionally hot morning in Utah, high elevation, you know, to, to have someone say they're short of breath and to be pushed out and then, you know, they took some time to recover and they're fine, but they're going to sit out the game. Concerning, but definitely something that we could all see past. Her willingness to speak up and clarify it, I think is extremely helpful because something I want to say as someone who suffers pretty frequently from panic attacks, when there are a lot of people right now in the world that may actually not realize that that's what they're dealing with. Panic attacks, from my experience, are more physical than they are mental. Very often when they're happening, you wonder if there is something wrong physical going on. One of the first times I had a really strong panic attack, I wondered if I was having a heart attack. It, you know, it's one of those types of things where you're just like, this is a unique and intense feeling. And I've never had anything like that. Is this one of those concerning, you know, and so you think heart attack and you think stroke and you think all those things that we all hear about the horror of it, but you've never had it. And you wonder, is it one of those things? And then you explain it to a doctor, you explain it to a close confidant and they tell you, I think that was an anxiety attack and you, it's a tough thing. And I think it's important, not just for the, the level of solidarity, but for that clarity of there may be people who have those experiences where being able to speak on those moments may help them get clarity as to what they may themselves be experiencing because many people can see this happen while they're watching a soccer match. And when you hear someone leaves the field, you naturally assume it's a physical an injury, more or less. So to be able to hear that, it means a lot. I think the other side of it that meant a lot to me, as I had said, this is the same, you know, Beth Balser who's just came off of a winning header scored the only goal that the reign have scored this entire tournament somehow thrusting them to third place we'll discuss that in a minute still came off this with this high level of anxiety i think it's important for people to note that when it comes to mental mental stability mental health there are certain things in our minds that we tell ourselves when i get to this point i'll be better when i get to this point i'll be happy if i get to this level of success if i get to this level of accomplishment i will be fine that the mental illness and mental health there is not a profile to it 
It's something you consistently have to monitor and you consistently have to speak up about and talk about and share with people and figure out and not share with people like speak publicly, but be able to have people in their lives that you can talk through those emotions so that you can make the best notes for you. I think we've unfortunately all had someone who made an unfortunate or tragic decision based on their mental illness that shocked us heavily. I had a good friend earlier this year, Mike, you knew the individual who who took his own life. If if you give me a list of 100 names uh, and who would be most likely to, to do that, he would have been 101 because he fit all those natural boxes of a happy individual and we all have that experience of someone that was like he never would have known he never seemed someone you know like someone who'd be depressed or anxious that's because there isn't a type of person and it's important in our discourse that a we're willing to be sensitive to those needs so that we're not triggering other people but the other side of it is that we're constantly willing to listen i don't know that we're a society that's as good as being visually attentive that people know they can be comfortable speaking out because more people need to have dialogue and might just be afraid that they don't have people in their lives that they realize are willing to listen. And that so much about what she had pointed out, and especially because it was very authentic, it was very raw. So you could tell it was coming so freshly off of her mind. This wasn't really a prepared statement. It was kind of her getting her mind on there. I, I really appreciated it. And I thought it, it set a lot of things in perspective because over the last two days, both you and me, based on our respective fandom within this league, have not had as much fun watching the game of soccer (laughs) just because of how our teams have fared and how other things have fared. And this set things really well into perspective for me. Yeah, and and that's – you made a good point too – not about our team sucking, uh, but but the fact that, you know, Bethany Balser is someone – like she's a huge success story in the NWSL. You know, she's coming off – she's the reigning rookie of the year. Um, She – almost single-handedly won uh that that match for seattle she's an incredible person off the pitch um and so so to see her to being open about that about that struggle it absolutely shows that no one's immune from it not not successful athletes nobody nobody is and and that's okay that's okay if that's something you're experiencing um that the support's there that and i I hope that brings awareness to the fact that you can reach out for support, for help, for guidance, um, because I'm positive that a lot more people are dealing with similar things than you would imagine. I, I think if, uh, if we all truly had the scope of who in our lives was dealing with some sort of uh, mental illness, I think we'd be very shocked. Even those who may feel themselves to be especially aware or, or woke, as young people term it, you'd be very shocked at, at what you find because it's it's starting to become more clear to people and and with that there's just so much more dialogue to be had of course so i i thought it was important for us to highlight that and give our commendation to to bethy balser and of course wish her the best and the best to anyone who is on on that road right now and really from there set the tone mike i, I guess we take it from discussing the importance of mental health to talking about soccer is that what we do now we we can you know they're 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 both conversations that need to happen. Yes, there's a lot to unpack here, Mike. We finally have the knockout round officially set. It obviously didn't come without its <laughs> high level of drama. It really, I mean, roller. the seedings themselves came down to the very last matchup, the very last minute. We got them, you know, mere minutes before it was time for us to get ready to record. I'll go ahead and give kind of what the matchups are laid out for. And 
from there, I think we'll dive into each matchup individually, talk a little bit about the closing matches and what led to their seedings, how we expect to see things going, and then make some final predictions on each matchup in the quarterfinals. First things first, the early game, July 17th, uh, first-ranked North Carolina, who knew, uh, against the eight-seed Portland Thorns FC, and yeah, who knew? Uh, this is, I think when this whole tournament kicked off with this exact matchup, this definitely didn't feel like the matchup we would expect to have seen. Not at all, no. Kicked off in the quarterfinals. I mean, your media impressions when you see what led to this matchup. Obviously, the courage being the number one spot, predictable. Um, everyone knew that. Portland finishing eight is a huge shock. I mean, this is a team that has been to the playoffs consecutive years. In fact, they've only missed the playoffs once in their entire history, memory serves. And having watched all of their matches, they didn't look like a, a last place team. You know, they were dominant in many of their matches. There was only one that I thought they had a really poor performance against the Red Stars. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for them here. I think they had a combination of bad luck and injuries that really weighed them down. I mean, without players like Sophia Smith, Becky Sauerbrunn, Lindsay Horan missed this last match. Who am I missing? There, there was a lot of injuries. but yeah. So that, that hit them really hard. But that being said, they performed well, but couldn't finish in the final third. There, there was great setup. There was great possession. Couldn't score. This is a problem that goes back to last season, but they did not solve it in the Challenge Cup. And they lost one drew three or lost lost two i'm sorry drew two and yeah now find themselves in a really unfamiliar spot yeah i i think everything you said really hit it on the head which was there were so many circumstances with a lot of these matchups where it was just kind of a game of inches things happened to one way or to the next and paid huge dividends for some teams and put them in weird, unfortunate positions because Portland is just a few knocks to the right or to the left from being a nine point team right now. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the strangest of it. You look at their last matchup against the rain. They had multiple scenarios, especially in the second half where they were really sincerely a split second from pulling a game-winning goal together there were a lot of heavy score opportunities and then it really just felt like when that thing went into extra time it almost just felt like the gas had left the tank like you could just kind of tell it was a lot to impact i think yeah i think you have to give a lot of credit to the rain defense because Mm -hmm. they just are so effective at just bunkering and just deconstructing their opponent's attack they've done it with everyone but but you're absolutely right a a team of that caliber with so many players i mean they have the world's leading goal scorer in christine sinclair and they they couldn't finish an attack so here we are so so obviously at portland in a in a very you'd say strange position against what may not feel like a strange opponent in that these are two teams that have set definitely seen a lot of each other that said, Mike, it's time to talk about North Carolina. And I think both you and I agree that there are some responses to their most recent matchup that are a little less than positive. Obviously positive for Carolina and that it was a very easy 2-0 victory. The one side of it, so I'll just set the stage for it and I want to get your feedback on it. And I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, wherever they're listening that, that may disagree with some of these sentiments. North Carolina essentially brought their entire gauntlet out. They walked into this matchup, surefire had the number one seed with Portland 
losing early. They already knew they were going to be playing the eight seed. You had Sky Blue, who was still somewhat playing for some level of seeding. But for all intents and purposes, their matchup was pretty well lined up. They would have a shorter run playing on the 17th as opposed to the 18th. You assume that there was going to be some level of rest. This team essentially, for at least their you know main position players, rolled out their most traditional starting 11 close to it. Um, Steph Laby sat out. Um, in goal but other than that you had crystal then starting you had lynn williams starting you had to be starting I, there's a lot of assumptions as to why this move is made there's natural assumption that you'd think they would rest a lot of these players so that they're coming ready to, to go full board of the quarterfinals my question is really simple mike did north carolina do sky blue dirty or at least just in general do dirty with uh the decision for who they were going to roll out for this final matchup i think so I think it was unnecessary. You have you have the number one seed locked in. I don't know. We've we've seen teams that have tried to quote unquote manage minutes um, and how that backfired. But when you're in the top position, like the courage are, it doesn't matter. You're not playing for anything. Now I'm glad that there didn't seem to be any major injuries sustained to their players. But what if there had been? I mean, just in the previous match with Washington Houston, we saw Andy Sullivan go down, season-ending yep. injury. What if that happens to one of your key players? I don't see any reason why they needed to do that other than to flaunt the fact that they are far and away the best team in the league, which I don't know. I would save that for knockout round if it was me, but I'm not Paul Riley. That's his call. I felt it was unnecessary. I, 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 yeah, I think the only thing that may bring a little light to it is they were coming off a full week break, essentially from their previous match riding well into the quarterfinals you're looking at almost a two-week layoff for some of those players if they don't play in that matchup that said even if you have them play in that matchup i don't think crystal dunn dominia smith mewis and lynn williams need to play 64 minutes in at a time when by that point the game was all but over uh i think i mean yeah it's only eight minutes removed from your last goal but i i just feel like almost immediately after the goal's over to me, there was almost no point in sitting the lot of those, at least two of those four, through the second half at all. Uh, and it's for all the reasons that you had said, Mike, you just run a risk that didn't feel necessary to run. And against the Sky Blue team that while they've performed impressively in a lot of places over the tournament, really pulling out one of the weaker rosters of this entire lineup, probably on paper, the weakest of the four matchups that North Carolina had and, and then jumped into well, you know, as you had already noted, pretty much bring all of their, their weapons to the table. It just didn't sit completely right. And listen, it is the decision of the team. They're allowed to do that. And it's not to sit here and say, and I, and I often hate to do the moral victory discussion, but it, it didn't sit too heavily well with me because based on what was at stake, it just sort of felt like for bragging, right? They wanted to be able to claim that they got a perfect 12 points, that they went undefeated, that they swept through the early round. So they essentially could notch that to their belt. I'm probably wrong. That's just the vibe I got from that decision. I mean, neither of us are courage fans, but I feel like this is a big reason why. <laughs> maybe that's a why. Maybe that's a part a of it. Of yeah. People dislike the courage because there's not anybody out there that could claim that they're not brilliant. You know, like we saw the football that they had; they were incredible. But again, this is the lowest stakes match they've played yet in this tournament. Um, it's the fact that you could roll out the subs of your subs and you're probably still are favorited to win that matchup and you have your seed locked in, you have your opponent locked in, there's really nothing to play for on your end at that point and yet you still rolled out the heaviest of your artillery and it just and the, didn't sit well. 
but yeah, to your point, I think a lot of it is uh, my respective team hasn't played well the last couple of matches. Your respective team didn't play well earlier in the day. If you want to claim that there's a little jealousy involved in it, yeah, probs. But I don't think that that's the full story from my perspective. I don't think that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, there's there's some bias in there. But I don't think that's what's rubbing me the wrong way, the fact that they're successful. Because they've earned it. They're f- phenomenal. Um, yeah. The thing that cracked me up a little bit was that, you know, in the last three years, they've been by far the most dominant team. No question. Yet even today, the interview with Sam Mewis that aired, and I love Sam Mewis, by the way, huge fan. They were asking her what the key to the Courage's success was, and she she used the phrase underdog mentality. And I've heard that from Paul Riley so many times. They have to stop using the word underdog. I, I'm sorry, I just can't. <laughs> even, I get what they're saying in the moment, which is you have to, it's that it's that common coaching phrase of act, you know, play like it's still zero zero, right? Like always have urgency, always play with that attitude. Just coming from a team that's had is had the level of success they have, it is easy to feel like it's almost coming off condescending. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, it just rubs me the wrong way. If they but stop, u- said, if yeah. they stop using the U word, then I think I could be more on board. But all that said, I mean, this all wraps around the undeniable fact that North Carolina was the best team in this round and is an easy oh, no favorite doubt. throughout the quarterfinal. That said, for all you want to say about Portland and their roster scenarios and their injuries and obviously the changes that they made to their their makeup over the offseason that's a squad and that's a coach and that's an environment that knows North Carolina just about as much if not much more than anyone else in this lineup so noting that North Carolina is is pretty well the favorite in this matchup what's important for Portland if they're hoping to pull off a pretty sizable upset in this matchup yeah no question the courage are the favorite but if you think back to the opening match of this tournament when they played we were about a minute away from having a draw. The Thorns played them really well in their in their first matchup. I think I think Portland's defense is going to be the key to shutting down the courage attack. I've seen a number of teams try to do better by controlling possession and controlling tempo as a way to manage the courage game, but I think the teams that do best are the ones that can somewhat disrupt on the defensive end. I don't know that Portland has all the tools, especially with no Becky Sauerbrunn in the tournament after that first match, but I think that's going to be the key. Yeah, I think it's important to establish as much quality off-ball defense as possible and try to not allow people to sneak in the back door as much as possible. It's so much about what makes North Carolina's offense dangerous is their ability to have crafty crosses that allow their most athletic players great opportunities to score. And yeah, the, you've the seen team, that in a lot of ways. Interesting, the, the team that's probably been most successful at defending the courage been the Red Stars because you had players like Julie Ertz and Casey Short that are really aggressive defenders that were able to shut it down before it even got to that situation. I don't know if the Thorns can learn from that. We'll see. As far as risk factor, they took a risk on putting uh, you know a lot of their main elite players and sitting them in the starting 11 for this final matchup. Is is there potential for that to pay dividends for this roster or does the depth of this roster protect it from potentially being hurt by putting in minutes for, for their top players that they otherwise could have given them rest for? I mean, their depth is intimidating, of course. We know that they're a team that's really strong on fitness and endurance. 
Although the further we get into this tournament, that may start to add up. That may start to wear players down. I don't know that we've seen it too much yet from the Courage. Certainly not in their last match. But it's something that if I was the coach, I would keep an eye on in practice. Uh, as we wrap this up, all things said and done, who's moving on to the semifinal? Oh, obviously, it's North Carolina. Do, do you, and it breaks you, my heart, but it's North Carolina. Yeah. Do you want to predict a score on that? You don't have I'll to. Go, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go 2-0. Okay. I don't think I'm being cheap. I, I pretty well agree with you on all count. I'm going to give Portland a goal in this. I just see them as a team that's going to put in a fight. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go two one on this for, for, for the courage. And we'll see. I feel like if there's any team that knows the the makeup to to upend the courage, though, it's Portland. So we'll have to see how it goes. Mike, let's go ahead and move really quick to the four five matchup, Houston, Utah. Of course, these two teams are already very familiar with each other. First matchup for each team in the challenge cup was a phenomenal three, three draw. One of the best matchups of this whole tournament, if not still potentially the best matchup of this whole tournament, really exciting stuff. We saw obviously great scoring, really fun, late game drama, a lot to really unpack and and be excited about here. As you look at the Houston, Utah matchup, what are your main impressions? I think it's an interesting story between these two teams first matchup that 3-3 draw was insane and it marks a trend that's gone throughout this tournament too that the early rounds saw just a really high number of goals from a lot of different teams and then I think as the tournaments progressed defenses have stepped up or fatigue has set in I'm not sure which Hmm. but the number of goals has gone down pretty dramatically from that high watermark that six goal game but these are also two teams that have been pretty inconsistent we've seen just phenomenal talent, smooth run of play. And then we've also seen just disconnected moments that lacked chemistry. So Steve, it's just a question of which teams show up. It's interesting because I think both these clubs have had almost identical trajectories. They had a very explosive offensive draw. They both walked out of that matchup with very impressive and I would say dominant victories in their second matchups. And then both seem to come off very stale in their final two matchups, which makes sense why they sit where they sit. Tied for points, the goal total goal differential is why Houston's a four and Utah's a five. Otherwise, they would essentially be flipped. And since there's seemingly no home advantage, even though it's technically in Utah, but not in front of fans, you know, they come in pretty evenly matched. I think a lot of this comes to me comes down to their level of scoring ability. Who stands up and and really becomes the the star of the show is it amy rodriguez is it rachel daly is it shigroom is it diana matheson is 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 sierra king like who really is going to be that person to step up when uh, a draw is not an option and and yeah exactly is there any element of either team that we're not thinking about that may play a pivotal role and who ends up taking this one i think houston is the more predictable team i think that their attack is largely based on Rachel Daly and the times that they're most successful is when they give her a good amount of support um, when they put forward multiple scoring options like like the match when Shea Groom had that gorgeous header or that Christy Mewis scored early I, I think that is when their offense is clicking when it's not just Daly making lone runs into into the into the opponent's back line i don't know that utah's attack has been as consistent they've shown that multiple players can step up there hasn't been a reliable goal scorer 
or a distributor. Someone that I'm just the biggest fan of is Vero, though. I think she yeah. has such a presence in the midfield and to direct all of Utah's movement. I think if she is having a good game and other players are reading her cues, I think they have the potential for a really coherent, cohesive run of play. Definitely. And I think that there's some combinations with Vero that being able to see her for close to a full 90 is, is going to be definitely going to stir a lot of, of an exciting pot for Utah for certain. And we'll just have to see how that one maps out. A, a quick question for Utah, I guess I have on your end. I have a question for Utah, and then I have probably a more important question for Houston. If if you're Royals FC right now, if you're Craig Harrington, do you start Sierra King? I don't know why they haven't already. She's been brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's at this point, been... if you need something to spice this roster up, you, coming off of two shutouts, if you need something to spice this roster up for this matchup, I feel like that's the move that you make. I think a lot of... of supporters would get behind that the only reason to not start sierra king is if you want to use her as a, like a super sub that comes in and just reinvigorates the team you know what when you're kind of slumping say maybe in the 60th something minute yeah. you know but I i'd like even she's... say i'd even say first hydration break like bring her in get her some minutes get her legs out from under her and then allow her space to take over in the second half is where I see it. But I, there's a reason I'm not getting paid that money to do that job. So Mike, my, my, my Houston question is pretty simple because you already highlighted it. I just want to see how you feel about it up to this point. Does Shagram still have the goal of the tournament? No question. I mean, come okay. on. That, that I wanted to make sure we agreed on that. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful goals I've ever seen. I mean, just her momentum, her run up to it, and then how the how far she gets in the air, connection with her head. I don't know. That goal is perfect. That's the goal of the tournament for me so far. I just wanted to make sure that was we still agreed on that. I, I you know, was nervous there for a minute. But this matchup definitely is a lot of fun because of what we saw to kick off the tournament. It'll be really interesting to see where the quarterfinals go. That said, let's go ahead and wrap this one up, Mike. Who is moving forward, Houston or Utah? I'm giving this one to... Utah. I'm going to say it's 2-1. Where are you maybe at, I'm just Maybe I'm just trying to give a reverse comma. I just feel like Houston's firepower is going to make this happen. I think the other side of it as well is if I had to pick a squad between these two that probably has the best chance to threaten North Carolina, it's probably Houston as well. So it might be maybe a little bit of not even wishful thinking because obviously I'd want Utah to win. But I, I feel like their offensive strength is going to get to him. I'm going to give this one to Houston 2-0. Okay. Nice. And similar to your first selection, I, I hate to do that. It's just what my gut's telling I know. me. I know. Let's head to an intriguing matchup. The 3-6 OL Reign, 6-seed Chicago Red Stars. These are two teams that came in with a lot of energy, both coming off of playoff runs last season, showed some really concerning matchups, and then ended on fairly high notes, pulling in some victories. There's so much to unpack between two of these rosters. I guess my first question, Mike, is just what's – What's the biggest story coming out of this matchup? That's a great question. These are, having watched all of their matches, I'm still not sure I know what either of these teams really look like. I think I've been really impressed with the Reigns' defensive strategy. I think they've really figured out what works for them, and even without some key players. And by the way, I was so thrilled to see Jess Fishlock back on back on the pitch to see her back after so long with the rain I mean it's just refreshing she's she's one of my all-time favorites um so may, maybe she will provide some more of their momentum but I've, I've been very impressed with their defense but 
And here, here's the thing that boggles my mind. The rain are the third seed, correct? Correct. They have scored a grand total of one goal in the entire tournament. How does that even work? I don't I mean, even, I, I that's the thing. So, to me, it's it's one of the, the few pitfalls to a point system in that a point system that allows an extra point advantage for a victory helps in the terms of an overarching season. When it's a four-team group stage before a knockout round, that's where you see these things happen that are a little confusing. It's a, and not it's only, a bizarre phenomenon because... And not only is it just one goal, it was one goal late uh, against a... A sloppy winning yeah. team in Utah who really gave up a a tough goal that was off crossbar. It was one of those things that like it was that moment there. ball circle, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, late, late to put away the Royals. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things where a few inches here, there, and you're looking at an O ring team that has no zero goals coming out of of this entire section. They pull one off suddenly. It bumps them from the bottom spot to the third spot i think one thing is it's indicative to how nuts the entire standings have been in general i think it's it's a little hopeful in that it speaks just the level of competitiveness across all teams north carolina notwithstanding but it definitely was something that was almost frustrating in that you know watch a team pull that off but hey those are the breaks that's how it happens and you know and and if you're all rain you run with it yeah, I'm not trying to say that the Rain aren't a great team. I really think they are, especially on the defensive end. And especially now that they're getting some key players back, like like Fishlock, or, you know, we finally saw Sofia Huerta's debut. So, and I thought Taylor Smith, especially in their last match, had a really good match. Um, so maybe they can figure out uh, how to put some momentum into the attack. On the Chicago end, though, um, this was a team that on paper looks really strong, but I haven't been overly impressed with. There's a ton of talent and great players on this team, but especially in their attack too, uh, hasn't seemed to click. I, d- I don't think they've fully adapted the loss of Sam Kerr yet. Uh, Kalia Watts had good moments, but I think a lot of their success has in the back line in the midfield. Casey Short being able to pull off a late go-ahead goal against Utah is that something that flows a lot of momentum and energy toward her that obviously would then bleed out to the team? Um, or does, you know, a week, nearly a week long layover nullify that and the Red Stars still need to, to come in kind of with a new mm-hmm. mindset? That's a good question. I think Casey Short is a really dynamic player that has that ability. I mean, we know what she can do on defense, but she's someone that can also do a really effective press, push the ball forward, and score, as as we obviously saw. I think seeing something like that for a team that did struggle, I think that can provide a lot of confidence, invigorate them. It's a question of if that can be sustained. Because, yeah. again, I, I, a lot of their plays seemed inconsistent to me, fairly listless. So um, I like to think that they've got something more cohesive in the playbook, so to speak. But I feel like the short goal was more of a good opportunity that she made the best of rather than an effective attack plan. So we'll, we'll see what they bring against that stifling rain defense. Yeah, th- this one's so interesting because we've seen so many, the, the full spectrum of this team, the both these teams across their matchups. It's so hard to tell which version of what you're going to be getting. That all said, let's go ahead and 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 talk this one out like so 
when all things said and done, you have the Oil Rain, you have the Chicago Red Stars again. These were two teams that played in the semifinals with playoff teams last year. Who is the one team that's going to have that significance when all said and done? Who's going to win the matchup? I'm going to give this one to the Rain. I'm going to say 1-0. What about you? Mike, give me, give me a number between 1 and 10. 6. 6 is an even number. That was the Red Stars. I'm taking Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. What, what, what about this scenario? So really strong defense on both of these teams, right? Really strong mm-hmm. goalkeepers. Is Could this be – I know I screwed this up with my prediction, but could this be the match that we see – the extra time rule go into effect because in the knockout stages we know that if it's a draw at the end of 90 minutes straight to penalties right this isn't this isn't the traditional structure of the game but this is this is the rules for the tournament could this be the game where we see that on display i lean more toward that happening in the dash royals matchup okay potentially but uh, if not if not that one, this one's so close. Like this one could happen too. These are two extremely evenly matched rosters. And as you said, defensively, they match up really well. They both have solid keepers, very solid keepers. Yeah, it's, this is one that could easily mold that way, I think, uh, and makes it sense. My gut tells me the Houston Royals matchup might lean more toward it, but I wouldn't I want, be shocked for a second if that happened here. I hope we get to see it. I, I hope. I hope we get to see it in the knockout round. As much as I hate penalties, we, as I, I we mean, I'm through, just a, a nervous mess, but... We sat through gets. three nil-nil draws during this whole time. I think we deserve that, if, if that's, anything. That's right. I think, it's our, I think it's our right to request it at this point, as ridiculous as that one may sound. So, uh, so but Mike, you'll, you'll go with Ole Rain. I'm going with the Red Stars. We'll now head to our final matchup i think there's a lot of intrigue here especially with recent events the number two washington spirit the number seven sky blue fc i mean obviously the washington's going to be the most curious case obviously they came in very strong they looked like a team that were potentially poised to disrupt the courage they weren't really able to do that when matching up against them in the initial round that said there was a lot to be excited about here we haven't seen a great deal of of Rose Lavelle in a dominant setting in the last couple of matches. Obviously, the loss of Andy Sullivan is going to be huge. How close are the spirit percentage-wise in your head to being the deep threat it felt like they were going to be when this started? Considering injuries, considering what we saw the last couple of games, are they anywhere near what we would like them to be? Or do, do some of these circumstances over the last couple of days really hurt their I think, yeah. level of confidence? I- couple things. I think losing Andy Sullivan is a pretty big deal. Um, She's one of these players that's very understated on the pitch in that they don't call her name a ton, but if you just focus on her, her contributions, she is vital to their midfield. I mean, luckily you've got some other just world-class players like Rose Lavelle, Jordan DiBiase, Ashley Hatch, Sam Staub. There's, there's, they're a great young team that has a lot going for them, but Andy Sullivan is a key piece there. And we have seen some less than stellar performances from the Spirit. They struggled and lost against the Courage. Uh, They struggled and had a draw with the Thorns. Also seen them play probably up to what we expected as when we predicted them as, as the Dark Horse. I think the question is, they're, they're one of the biggest teams that we've seen trying to manage player minutes and maybe holding things back for the knockout round. I want to see if that gamble pays off. 
Definitely. I think that's one where they've they've tried to play roster chess quite a bit, and it'll be interesting to see if they're able to pull something out of that. Many of us may may not be generally expecting on that end. Also a different case in that obviously Houston's coming off of a or they're coming Washington's coming off a, a solid win over Houston, which I think was a good cap for them. And Sky Blue coming off of a pretty frustrating and demoralizing loss, I would say, uh, against the Courage. That said, previous to that loss, Sky Blue had one of the more vital upsets that we've seen all season with a with a two zero victory. The only goals they've scored so far. They looked fluid. They looked energetic. Is that a flash in the pan moment for Sky Blue? That victory, or do they have the potential to drum that up effectively and really make this matchup competitive? I think the potential's there, and Washington absolutely needs to watch players like Midge Purse deeper, you know, deeper on the field, or some, someone like um, Ifyana Manu has actually been a consistent uh, threat. She's pressed really high and has incredible speed that's really stretched opposing defenses. So they've shown a lot of potential. They're obviously the underdogs. They couldn't make much happen against against the courage. And I don't know that the spirit are too far behind that. So they, they've got an uphill battle, but I think they have players that can surprise you. I would say so. I I think there's a lot of high potential of them to, to catch something and make something happen. It's definitely going to take a lot out of a spirit team that feels like playing a potential full strength, you know, Andy Sullivan, notwithstanding, put them in a, in a position to potentially pull off this upset. I think the ultimate question is, does that upset happen? So let's get right to it, Mike. Uh, we've got the spirit sky blue, our final matchup of the quarterfinals. Who's moving on to the semis as much as I want to cheer for the sky blue squad. I'm, I'm going to say no to the upset. Um, I've got Washington to no. Mike, you know, I can't resist a good, juicy upset. Okay. Wow. But I'm going to do it here. I'm going to take the spirit to win. <laughs> ah, you, you had me You had me going. I I would love to see this one. I'd love to see, especially Mitch Purse get her moment. I, I just feel like the spirit have this defensively. And, and uh, you know what? Despite, despite this uh, tournament and despite this matchup, I'm I'm such I'm so excited to see where Sky Blue continues to go. Maybe they'll pull the upset now, but yep. I this I is... really believe in their, their new management and Freya Coom and Becca Moros and as as assistant coach. I think they've had a lot of vision that yep. I'm really excited where this club is going to continue this to is... go. 100% not the end of their story and I think if you're if you're the brass over in Jersey and looking at the Sky Blue team you have a lot to be excited about so if it doesn't pan out completely here in the knockout round you have a lot to build off of this could be one of the next great teams over the next couple of years so yeah I feel good about that but yeah this just feels like it's it's Washington's last ditch opportunity to make something happen well, that's everything for the matchups we have for the quarterfinals. So just to review things, Mike, uh, on your end, you've got the Courage, the Royals, Oil Rain, and the Spirit taking the quarters, moving on to the semis. I have the Courage, the Dash, the Red Stars, and the Spirit on my end. We'll see how that goes. A quick review of where predictions led coming out of the initial stage of games. So as we talked about, Mike, this is the battle for apples. We've already talked about. So, so the winner that's of the cool. overall predictions was the other apple related prize we'll see how that one maps out i scored the initial matchups pretty uniquely so i based this solely off of 
where we had the rankings compared to where they are. I made the first and eight seeds the highest mounted. I feel like those are the two that tend to have the most weight. Who you think is going first and who you think is going last are pretty bold predictions. And then moved in three, two, and one point from there. So based on those point totals, based on who things had correctly, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, Steve currently is in the lead with 11 points. Yeah. Mike, you currently have seven. Seven. But oh. the, the point totals weigh much higher in the knockout round. Okay. So those numbers I, could potentially be fairly arbitrary and we differ on two matchups All right. an absolute complete and utter chance. So just to be clear on this, we'll have two points for every correct prediction in the quarterfinals. We'll have three points for every correct semi five points. If you get the final correct and don't forget, we had our initial tournament predictions before we started this, there will be bonus points. If any of those predictions throughout the knockouts maintain the same amount so if you if you predicted okay. any of those and they happen to be correct as time goes by there'll be bonus points lots of opportunities for okay. for to go either way someone's getting apples and it's not a guarantee who at this point so we'll see how it goes we know everyone listening to this really wanted to know where we stood on that so that's how it looks so far i fully expect you to end up taking the victory because i i just think i lucked out in a couple spots <laughs> You, no, that's a, that's a commanding lead. I'm I'm going to need those bonus points. Yeah, we're, we'll have to see how it goes. We, we differ on enough of these early matchups that I think it could take us quite a ways. So I'm excited to see where that pans out. That's it, Mike. Uh, that's really everything for our review of the quarter or preview of the quarterfinal of the NWSL Challenge Cup. Is there anything else you wanted to call out or bring to the table before we put a bow on this? No, I'm I'm excited for it. As am I. This is fantastic. Great. Uh, you know, it's exciting to see all this coming to a crescendo. Obviously, we'll definitely miss soccer for the time being, but this has been a good experience, and we're excited to see some high intense uh, knockout soccer. That said, if you do want to follow us over on Twitter, you can check us out at NWSL Nation Pod. Stay up to date on any updates with the show, any new episodes as they come out. Uh, we like to throw out some polls, other insights. Definitely a good follow. We don't necessarily highlight playground or anything like that, which for those not. Well- as familiar with the Rio Tinto Stadium, that technically is still possible. There is a playground on site at Rio Tinto Stadium. It's not within view of the full-on stadium. It's it's more out in the common grounds, unfortunately. But maybe in the hydration run, break, Marissa. Very Pilla long yeah, run out there. Extremely long run for a, a playground celebration. But if I've learned anything about this Challenge Cup, you just you leave no possibilities out. It has anything to end. Vlatko, Vlatko can write about it in his diary. Absolutely. The, the diary will always remain, and that's there. I'm sure there's a subway close by, and I'm sure their sandwiches are piled high with veggies. <laughs> it's back. Sandwich emoji. I think it's pretty much, I think, where we can... That's, that's probably as good of a place to cut off as anywhere, I think. I do. <laughs> any other any other commercials we need to call out? <laughs> I want to personally thank Secret Deodorant. Absolutely. No sweat. Appreciate it so much. Well, before uh, you know, up until then, until more fantastic commercials, more parody accounts, and of course more great soccer. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of NWSL Nation. We're excited to chat with you again soon. I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Mike McPhee. And we'll catch you again next time. Oh, you're five, five, five dollars, five dollars, five dollars.